We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. We finally have the evidence. There is now proof of a vast conspiracy, proof that money changes hands, proof that the game is bent, proof that there is match fixing. And I think at the end of this Chelsea game, we can come away with no conclusion other than Alvaro Morata through the game for Chelsea. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. It's not the referees. It was never the referees. It was always Alvaro Morata, the man of the 1.77 XG in this match alone, but came away with zero RG, or real goals, sometimes referred to as AG, or actual goals. Uh, And the men here to break that down, break down the refereeing decision, break down the uh, birth of Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Barcelona DNA, uh, all of the great things that happened in the match. Uh, is the full boat. Tim, Paul, Clive, Scott, they're all here. Let's start with Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello. Hello, Paul. You were on Twitter at Pausing in My Pants. How are you doing? Woohoo. Good. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Scott will be along shortly, as I mentioned. So uh, let's dive right in. Tim, I guess that where I want to start with this is really at the result. And, you know, I found myself not sure how to feel. I wanted the win. Mm. We avoided the loss. The, the last couple minutes of the game were mental. It could have gone either direction. Uh, you have Arsene Wenger making jokes about suicide. I mean, the, they had the whole thing going on here. So at the end of the match for you, um, did you feel uh, fortunate to come away with the draw, unfortunate not to win? How did this result strike you? Um, probably none, none and all of those things at exactly the same time. Uh, maybe a little bit like the Liverpool game, but... You know, when you score a last-minute equaliser, there's there's a bit more kind of relief in there, and I've, I felt like we deserved that equaliser. Um, 
And, you know, I, I heard quite a lot of people saying before the game that this was a must-win game for Arsenal. I didn't, I don't think we're quite there yet, but I, I did feel it was must-not-lose, and not just because of the points, but, you know, momentum, confidence, etc., etc. So um, I was OK with the draw um, o- overall. I think it was just about a fair result as well. I think both teams, um, you know, could have scored a few goals more, um, and both teams probably had... Both teams probably came close the same amount of times, but on balance, the quality of Chelsea's chances was probably slightly better, uh, particularly Morata, who, had he been on any sort of form, um, would have had a hat-trick at least on any other day. So uh, there was just this kind of exhalation of breath at full time, this kind of, and I I think that, that kind of sums it up. That's what everyone thought. Um, on the other hand, you know, at nil-nil, it, it really felt like, you know, there's definitely going to be a goal in this game and it could go to either team. And you really had this feeling that the team that got the first goal would be, you know, would be the one that would probably go on to win the game. So when Jack got it, I, you know, I, I thought, yeah, here we go. Um, you know, we can win this now. And then, you know, Chelsea get the equaliser fairly quickly and I think it knocked the stuffing out of us a bit particularly again because it was another contentious penalty and there's been so much talk about that for the last few days and that it that swung the momentum of the game a little bit but it was just it it was quite deflating and um, I'm not sure there was a sense of injustice so much from the Arsenal players but the kind of oh not again um, kind of thing so and on balance I think a draw was just about fair if you were to really have to pick a winner. I suspect that Chelsea, you know, won this on XG, as it were. So, um, you know, we can, pr- and, and given that we were 2 1 down in injury time, you can probably feel quite grateful for the draw. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the penalty in this is a little different because against West Brom, not only was it clearly a wrong call, it was a wrong call mm. in a game where I, I didn't feel that West Brom could hurt us, and I, I felt that we should have won that match. Uh, whereas. Mm. You know, in, in this game, Chelsea always looked like they could hurt us, um, mm. you know, and it wasn't a clearly wrong call. Now, I, I, it's funny because mm. you're a serial defender of referees on Twitter, um, <laughs> but you actually thought this was a wrong call. You you do not believe it was Yeah, happening. yeah. Yeah, no, no, I don't. Um, and, you know, when I kind of defend referees on Twitter, that's not to say they don't make mistakes. It's, it's more the furore that surrounds it and they're kind of, I think, quite hysterical um it's it's all gotten now but no i didn't think it was a penalty i didn't think so at the time and the replay i i saw subsequently it is exactly how i read it at the time it was the softest even if there is a touch it's so soft and um I, there are just some things i can't work out with the, the way games are officiated and one of them is how you know that minimal amount of contact you know if the, if there'd been like a bug on Eden Hazard's foot, it would it would have been completely intact from that um, assault from Bellerin, shall we say? And yet, when every if that's a penalty, look at every single corner that has ever been given in top flight football. Because it is they weird, are right? That you penalties. can almost pull someone's shirt off, yeah. and it's not a penalty. But if your two shoes <laughs> occupy, you know, one millimeter of the yeah. same space, it's it's a penalty. It's yeah, bizarre. if your shoe like yeah, your shoelace like brushes someone's calf, that's oh, that, that's contact and always oh, entitled to go down. Always oh, made a meal of it. But, and and I, I tend to think like players have got so much smarter uh, with simulation nowadays and do it so much more regularly. And by the way, I, I think what Wilshere did in the second half qualifies as that as well. That's 
you know, quote unquote, clever simulation. And it's the kind of thing we've liberalized our attitudes to it just because it happened to so often. So um, when well, and know, because when, he's our brave boy. And well, I know, but, you know, he <laughs> manufactures contact, you know, Hazard feels a shoelace on his calf and goes down. And 15, 20 years ago, that, that would have been absolutely unanimous. Everyone would have called that a dive. But now, because that happens so much, you know, I, I think our attitudes have, have softened to it. And that's one of the things that's disappointed me about the retrospective punishment with diving. I think there's far too much whataboutery. I really think that the authorities should just take a harder line on it. And just not, you know, not do this, oh, well, I'm not really sure if it was a dive. Bollocks. Referees have to make those sorts of judgments. They have to make judgments about intent all the time, all the time. So there is no reason why you cannot retrospectively make those kind of judgments on intent. There is no reason to shy away from the fact that someone has clearly either manufactured contact or dived. And I'm really disappointed with the way that's been enforced. And if anything... I think it's going to make, um, you know, if you consider diving a problem, I think it's going to make it worse, if anything. Yeah, yeah, and look, I mean, there's too much awesome stuff and terrible stuff and interesting stuff to get into in this match to do another 20 minutes on the referees, and I know we could, and mm. I think it was El Spanish Gunner, or I, I'm sorry for getting his Twitter handle wrong, has done a comprehensive thread on uh, the wrongs that have been uh, heaped on Arsenal by referees this season. Uh, literally every wrong call made against us and I think deduced that we should be 12 points better off. So, I mean, <laughs> in some ways, we're basically still competing for the title. So that's good news. Um, also, uh, the reason Tim defends referees is not because of what he said. It's quite clearly because he's part of the uh, deep state dark web conspiracy <laughs> against Arsenal. Uh, but we can come on to that in another podcast. So, Clive, you know, going back to the beginning now, young backline. Uh, holding Ann Chambers, not to mention Maitland Niles and Bellerin. I'm Bellerin, very experienced, but still very young, with Mustafi holding it all together. Um, and then two very slow center midfielders in Jack and Shaka sitting in front of them. Um, was that really a concern for you before kickoff, and did it become an increasing concern as the first half wore on? Uh, yep, you know what I'm like about my physicality and speed. Um, and even and what you don't see when you're sort of at the ground as a camera pan to sort of holding and chambers that they looked a little bit nervous more so holding actually and i was i was thinking i wonder what's going to be like and the issue i have with, with these with all three of them actually you put murtasaka in there as well we've got four center backs that are really quite slow and um and it, and it, and it changes how they play it changes how they where they want to be and they like to feel contact they like to have jobs they look to go and mark people. And none of them instinctively want to cover space. Mustafi has, is learning to do it, and he does it quite well. But every now and again, when he gets tired, when he get, loses concentration, he just goes and smashes somebody. And they chase the ball. They get attracted. And none of them think about the space in behind. And so, you know, you think back to the good old days when we had, you know, Vengo obviously just structured and set up very well in centre midfield. But in the old days, we had Campbell and, and Torre, and they could win every race they wanted to win. And so, in some ways, Wenger still plays football without a safety net, but he, he he brought in even more risk and more doubt by having slow defenders, right? And and yet he still has them high up the pitch. And so the whole thing, it's just scary. I mean, how did you feel watching it? Did you feel terrified? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it felt like every time they kicked the ball long, there was a chance Murata was going to be in. And, you know, I mean, it, it's it's really worrying that, you know, look, I, there are a lot of people, Clive, that, that 
their defense of our defenders is it's the system, it's Arsene Wenger, it can make any center back look bad. But some of these guys don't know where to stand. And I realize the system puts them on an island and puts them at risk. Yeah. But you should still know, I mean, there is basic positional defending that's being that's being done wrong here, isn't there? It comes back to fear. It comes back to knowing what you have. So if I take Holden, for example, he's worked out that, you know what, I'm not very quick. I've got to, the way he runs, his feet are a little bit wide. He, he runs like flat-footed. But I'll tell you what I'm going to be. I'm going to be very aggressive on the front foot. I'm going to smash everything. I'm going to be really proactive. I'm going to make sure that people don't come down my side. And when they do, they're going to get hurt. Right? That's what that's what he's taking on this year. And then you've got Mustafi, who's a little bit more experienced. Obviously, the World Cup winners in his back pocket. He is a little bit more holistic in his play. Every now and again, as I say, he gets attracted. Then you've got Chambers. And I think the worst thing that's ever happened to Chambers has been John Stones. Because he now thinks he's cool and relaxed. And he needs, to, he needs to work out what he is. He needs to be more aggressive. He needs to be sharper in all his movements because from the moment that game started, he looked like the weak link. And Hazard just said, I'll have some of you, son. You're looking a little bit worried. And and it took him 40 minutes to get a first challenge in. And by then, the whole stadium, um, I know my house, was completely scared beyond their own wits. So it, it, comes it was back like to, Silence of the Lambs, wasn't it, Clive? Yeah, with, uh, you could see Hannibal. it coming. I mean, yeah. Paul, I, I, always, <laughs> I always say your eyes never lie. You never lie. How did you feel? Let, let me ask Tell you a question then. For, for that first chance where Murata gets completely cleaned through and and just mishits it wide is that yeah. Mustafi's fault for where he tries to set the line too high up or is it Chambers fault for not holding the line and and being a step behind it I mean it, so Chambers got killed for that but it looked like Mustafi was also playing in the opposition half and you can't play yeah. the offside trap in the opposition half <laughs> So basically, uh, Holding and Mustafi get both get attracted to the ball. Chambers is, is wider to the right. The run goes diagonal across his face, and basically they run into a space behind. It comes back to jobs. Sending Mustafi should be deploying these guys like put pit bulls, saying, you go, you go, and then anything you miss, I'll clean up. But Mustafi says sometimes, well, I fancy going. And then he just goes, and the other two have to react to him. And they may not be as experienced as a Koscielny to do that or a Monreal to do that. Who they can they, they can obviously sense Danes are more sharply, and they're sharper in their movement. And so he left these two young guys. I didn't feel a communication connection between the three of them, and it, it, it was like it was just like watching. Uh, I call it Murtasaka Bingo. I've used that phrase before. But basically, on the halfway line, with three slow defenders, loads of green space behind, and Hazard and Arata saying, stick it in here. Um, Chelsea got a guy called Seth Fabregas who can drop the ball on the sixpence. I mean, it's recipe for a disaster, really. But we we just about got away there. But at what cost? Because I think a lot of Arsenal fans have, well, I know I have. I've lost a bit of confidence in, in Chambers, for example. Oh, boy. It was, a rough, it it was a rough day for him. <laughs> Rough day from. Do you guys remember? You, you have better memories for this stuff than me. But there was, I think it was a Liverpool game. Was it two seasons ago where he started yeah, yeah. and he gave, he could not give the ball to an Arsenal player, and then he recovered yeah. in the second half. Remember that he he started yeah. to kind of get his wits about him. But this, the first half of this game reminded me of the first half of that game. He is a player who he gets the shits. I mean, he 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 gets terrified, and it shows in his performance. I think he struggles on duels. I mean, literally man strength. He hasn't got that strength in one-on-ones. Me, me neither, by the way. 
<laughs> Do you remember when Mane, Mane just put him in his pocket? I mean, it's very yeah. difficult to play Mane in your first game. He just ran him to death, ran him around the outside, come back inside, stuck it in our net. I mean, it, this is an issue for him. I mean, lots of people, lots of people want to give him time. But I do, I've said it before, I feel the three of them are very similar in profile. I see Holding trying to define himself into a, a Gary Cahill. Mustafi's defined. I think Chambers got to define himself. And I think, you know, if I'm the manager squad building, I would lose one of them to add a, a faster, taller, more dominant centre-back into, into our group. It's funny. You look at how Chelsea did it. They had Cesc Fabregas, who, you know, was kind of tasked with destroying us with killer balls, but he can't run. So they put two athletes alongside him in Bakayoko and Conte, yep. and said, don't worry, Cesc, these guys will run all over the pitch. You just play yep. the killer ball. You you pick out the runs. Um, we had two slow-footed central midfielders who, you know, to be fair to them, also were playing, you know, their whatever it is, fifth game in 12 days, or, you know, pick a number, whatever it is at this point. So, Paul, you know, I think it was interesting. We did make a little tactical, nuanced tactical change, and, you know, for a manager who doesn't do tactics, Arsene is doing a lot of tactics lately, and the one thing I'll give him credit for is I, I think it was very clever and I think it worked reasonably well in the first half, which is we seem to be playing a a three five two. Um Ozil was playing deeper in midfield and Alexis and Lacazette were playing more like a two in attack. Did you see it that way and and what do you think of it? Um I didn't quite see it like that. In fact, I would have said, uh, I mean, I know what you mean, uh, but Ozil so, well, was Let me stop you real quick before, yeah. before you, you do yeah. Did anyone else see it that way? Or, or am I making that up? No, I saw it that way. A little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I still think Sanchez was to the left a bit, but yeah, basically. Okay, yeah. okay. all right. So, well, Paul, how did how did you see that that midfield setting up? I mean, what was the was Ozil's role deeper for you, or not really? Uh, it was deeper when he wanted to pick up the ball, uh, and, and he did nip in and make a tackle here and there, but he basically was purely looking for that extra space. It was, I, to me, we were playing a two uh, and Ro- Ozil just going where the space was, and that was very often in midfield, but not as a conscious effort that they were a three-man okay. interchangeable three, whereas I thought Chelsea were much more an interchangeable three where they started as a three in the middle and then Sesk would drift off to the left and find a pocket there, and you'd very often find Jack running off to cover him and that kind of uh, uh, to me it was kind of a two and a half versus a two um sesk was somewhere between the two roles but it did give them uh more coverage in the midfield and i think that maybe made jack and chaka look a bit more stretched than is fair that because they just had that was how chelsea set up that was the gamble they played the three in midfield but that basically kind of left ozil in a lot of space and he used it and so in the end we they kind of ran the game a little bit more but we were more to me our chances were higher higher quality in the build-up not necessarily better chances when it came to the well, shot yeah, when all you have to do is kick one ball over the top of us and yeah you've got a guy running in alone that's pretty easy <laughs> yeah or or our guy is basically passing it to you you know we were as profligate creating cock-ups as they were in missing them. So I, I, so I think it's a subtle distinction, but I definitely think they were more of a three than we were in the midfield, and it did lo- make our 
are to look a bit stretch. I I might quibble a bit on Jack being slow-footed. He is not the quickest midfielder on the planet. Well, what did you think of his first half? Because I, I look. I thought Jack actually grew into the game surprisingly, but the first yeah. half for me, I was kind of shaking my head and saying maybe this is a game too far for him. He he had some really bad moments in the first half, and he looked like he was lacking the range to, to get to the spots on the pitch he needed to be. Yeah, but I so I think to, I think there's some truth to that. I think he was also the two of them were kind of stretched by the three. They hadn't really worked out who was doing what, and Jack was really trying to close down Sesk, and it was pulling him out of position. I mean, Sesk is not just a genius with the ball at his foot; he's ever so clever in in pulling a midfield around and pulling midfielders before uh, towards him. And if you don't get to him. He'll put through key balls. In fact, I think he put six key balls. He, he's he's also yeah. one for a, he gives a great cuddle mid match. I don't know if you spotted that, but a really yeah. nice, just a good hugger. You know, it's important yeah. to be. Yeah, yeah. You want to be a yeah. full body guy with that. Really get in there, yeah. not not the bro hug where you get the handshake and the one arm. He he does. True. He went for the two arms. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, and I, the other thing I'd say on our midfielders, I, I thought they actually did pretty well considering in this game, and they did grow into it. I think Chaka took a huge amount of abuse for this game uh, compared to Jack. Um, and there could be a nationality issue there. Not from Scott. Uh, not from Scott. That's coming up. Good. Good, good. Glad to hear that. Uh, I'm not saying he was brilliant. I thought it was quietly pretty good. I he think had that terrible pass in stoppage time at the end of the game where he overhit yeah. it to Welbeck on the counter. And it was infuriating because it was at a moment where it felt like the match could go either way. And we were, we were pushing for the winner. They were pushing for the winner. And the game kind of ended on your last memory being Shaka giving it away on a pretty easy counterattack pass. And I think that... Not, not to dismiss the fact that you know people may have intelligent thoughts about his performance, but you know that lasting memory is a, is one that definitely I think colors opinions. Yeah, and they're up against. Uh, I mean, they kept finding Ozil, which maybe wasn't too hard given the space he was finding, and the build up through Ozil to Sanchez. I mean, it was just clicking all game, and I think Jack and Chaka found that quickly and effectively. And on the other side, they weren't helped by being against what I would call a two and a half in the midfield. And, you know, having the aristocrats behind them defending where, like, Chambers <laughs> is fisting the grandmother, the granny's fisting the cat. It was like, you know, what are you going to do? But check uh, Bellerin, Maitland-Niles, and I think holding uh, – I didn't see M- holding do much wrong in all of that confusion. I think Mustafi was mostly good but occasionally calamitous. And Chambers was just a hot mess. I don't know who he kept signaling to. Right from the get-go, he was waving, he was signaling. I mean, if marks for communication, but I've no idea what the hell he was up to, especially on that first chance with the ball over the top to Murata. Who the fuck is he waving at? To coin a phrase, Paul, he's not waving, he's drowning. He's drowning, yeah. (laughs) Who the fuck was he waving at? Everybody he should be talking to was right beside him. He's waving upfield. I think he was waving, I'm fucked. I'm fucked. <laughs> I'm fucked. Um, yeah, well, and, you know. Jack was great, though. Yeah, check check might have been man of the match. Not as good as Courtois. Low-key man of the match. I mean, the funny thing about check is, I, I w- honestly, I'd love to put an outfield player in goal for penalties. I don't see how it could go. I mean, I'm not even kidding. Like, why not? Are you allowed to do that? Like, can, yeah. can you no. say you can't right because you have to have like no. an actual right yeah okay no he, yeah, yeah. Well, can, well he can't he can handle do it. it he just can't he yeah. just can't use his arms right that's a good point still be better off to be fair 
an outfield player not using his arms can't do worse than Czech, who has dived the yeah. wrong way for 13 <laughs> of the last penalties he's faced. I mean, it, it, and it's unfair. He's going to come in so much criticism for that in a game where I thought he was actually quite brilliant. Tim, um, I, I do. I, I want to stick with midfield for a minute because I think it's such an important area. I can't get past the fact that Shaka and Jack is not a pairing. It's not. And individually, mm. they, they both have qualities, and individually both did some good things in this game. I thought they really struggled for running in the first half. Um, there was a, a moment where Jack had a bad touch. The ball got away from him a little bit. Then he got overrun behind him by Hazard. He, he, he got into a bad position. I, you could make an argument to me to just sell Shaka, keep Jack, sign him, and bring in an athletic midfielder. Maybe it's Maitland-Niles. Or not re-sign Jack and put an athlete next to Shaka, but these two together—is it just too easy for them to get overrun, especially with the vulnerability we have defensively? I think so, yeah. Because what a good midfield partnership does is like, like really, really good ones. Um, the two, the pair, accentuate one another's strengths. Um, but even the basically good ones just mask one another's weaknesses. And uh, unfortunately, Shaka and Wilshire have some of the same weaknesses i.e. covering ground just that little half yard using their legs to the traverse ball. the earth yeah that yeah. yeah yeah like jack jackal jackal chase he's he's game um but you know he's not he's not a defender he never has been he's never been a defensive player so he doesn't quite have the instinct and the the legs aren't what they quite were anymore but at the same time I feel like it's kind of churlish to criticize him for that because that's never been his game and um you know what what yeah you're quite right what you should really be doing is either backing Jack and putting players around him that you know mask those 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 weaknesses or doing the same with Jacka and and at the moment they're just they're not that similar but they just they just have slightly similar flaws um I think you know Jack is one thing that really has improved since Jack came back came into the team is you know Arsenal are conceding loads of goals just by giving the ball away stupidly in their own half and that hasn't happened as much and that's because Jack is much more secure on the ball technically he's got that little take the ball on the half turn and and kind of transition from uh, defense into midfield from you know one phase of the game to the other he's just a little bit smoother. Um, I'd add to that, the by the way, pass. the fact that he's playing closer to Shaka means that Shaka's not on an island yeah, yeah. trying to distribute under pressure as much. Yeah, yeah, quite, quite. But, um, you know, Jack doesn't have, you know, the long pass that Shaka has, you know, the instant change of play. Um, but, you know, they, yeah, I, I just think basically it's, it's not so much that they're similar players. It's just they have slightly similar weaknesses. And I think you're right. I think it's a very uneasy combination. But, I think pretty much most of our um, most of our midfield combinations are, and that's that's why I feel like I do feel like Jack's. Yeah, Jack, I, I say I don't even want to say Jack's been a bit of a problem off of the ball because again that that's not his game and it never has been. He's you know he's a, more of a number eight, so you know he's he's fine defensively, but but he's got another number he, eight with him. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So he needs to be more than fine, and and he's never you know. He's, that's never been his game. That's not who he is. So it, it feels a bit churlish to criticise him for that. And, and it's kind of the same for Xhaka. Xhaka has some flaws and, you know, it's really feeding, it's kind of feeding time um, for the fans on Xhaka. I, a couple of weeks ago, I forget after which game it was, but a friend of mine said to me, it, you know, it, it's fortunate in a way for Xhaka that the fan base has decided to turn on Alexis because otherwise, 
um, things could get quite nasty for Granit Xhaka. And, um, and, and I feel sorry for him as well because he's clearly a really good player. He's got some flaws. The problem is those flaws are a real, real problem for a team like Arsenal. Um, and, you know, so he's, he's getting a bit of an unfair rap as well. So I feel like we're having a go at two players who are not athletic and not massively attuned off the ball. But, you know, they're both in their mid-20s and neither of them have ever been that. So, of course, of course, there's deficiencies there. So it's, it's just, you know, it's another symptom of a, of a squad that's really just oddly assembled. Yeah, I mean, if only there was a way you could assemble a squad, um, you know, to be more balanced. Like if you could go out and find players that are at other teams or, you know, whatever it is, just bring in the players you need to balance the squad. That would be helpful. Um, That'd be cheating. Fair point. Yeah, well, and as we know, the game is already cheating us. Um, and so, you know, this is probably <laughs> Any just more Any team can more do that, Elliot. Any yeah. team can just go out and buy players that work with other players. Yeah, Where's but- the ma- Where's the magic in that? The magic comes from buying all the players who have all the same qualities and trying to assemble a team with them. Um, <laughs> let's do this. Let's talk to Scott real quick. He's going to tell us uh, that Shaka had the performance of a lifetime. When we come back, uh, Clive is going to try to keep his pants on while he talks about Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Hermes Link. Ice Blue Mink. Tat on my ribs like I do not know what permanent is. They want me gone. Wait for the kicker. So Scott is here to uh, give us the uh, statistical insight that we need to understand the match more fully and to explain to us the ways in which everything we saw was wrong, uh, that we are quite clearly fools who know nothing about the game, and uh, we can allow the data to wash over us and wash away the foolishness. So Scott, uh, you can find him on Twitter at uh, O underscore that underscore crab. You can find his work on crabstats.blogspot.com. Hello, Scott. Hello. Good to be back. Yes, it's good to have you back. Did you have a nice holiday and new year and time away with the family, hopefully? Yeah, a good winter break, feel recharged and rested and ready to go. We'll just call you Messit. Okay, so I, I say that in humor because actually Messit didn't really have much of a winter break this year, uh, although there's still plenty of time. We'll see what happens. But let's dive into what was uh, an interesting match to watch with our eyes, but was it an interesting match to crunch the numbers for? Ah, that is the question on, on everybody's mind. So XG, PPVA, XG Chain, what did these things tell us about the match? Who dominated this match? Looking at XG, Chelsea definitely dominated the match. They almost produced four um, expected goals in this match. Um, and then, you know, that does include um, 0.8 of a penalty. So still over three expected goals. Shouldn't the XG um, for a penalty for against Arsenal be one? <laughs> it, it practically should be, yeah, unless they absolutely can't even hit the target. Because, I mean, you're basically shooting at an empty net. Yeah, I mean, that, that is right. Now, one thing I was kind of curious about, I mean, that's uh, a lot of expected goals produced by Chelsea. How much of that uh, fell to the wayward Alvaro Morata? So he had um, over half of that, 1.77, Amazing. which is pretty crazy for one player to have. Um, but his three, and that's all on three shots, too, which is even more crazy. Um, pretty much all three of them, I believe, were one-on-ones with the keeper. And I think he only got one of those actually on target, which is pretty bad. Um, and then if you actually looked at, you know, the shots on target. So, yeah, um, Chelsea really dominated the total XG uh, 3.9 to 1.2. But looking at the shots on target, which um, people always ask me this question is, why is the, the number higher or lower? Um, so this one actually looks at just the shots on target. So if it's obviously off target, it's zero. Um, but if it's on target, it's going to have a, a different value than a regular XG. So, you know, a shot on target from inside the center of the box um, would regular have a regular XG of about 0.9 but on a shot on target might be 0.15. 
So when we look at the shots on target XG, Arsenal had 2.5 compared to Chelsea's 2.52. So that one shows a, a lot closer match. Um, and then I've also been kind of uh, you know working on something called the total offensive value added. So that takes into account of everything. So it's based on the same kind of principles as my passing value added. But I'm looking at things like being able to actually carry the ball. So that looks at where a player receives the ball and where he ends the ball with. So looking at being able to run with the ball, dribbles, looking at then actually getting in the shot locations. When we look at that one, um, that one actually ended up basically tied again at 2.2 to 2.2. So this was a pretty even overall match. Um, one that the first half probably should have seen a goal from both teams, um, but those goals finally came in the second half. They did indeed, yeah. <clears throat> um, and unfortunately, uh, they came in equal measure for Arsenal and Chelsea uh, in a game that we probably needed to win. Um, I think you would agree statistically that a draw here, while not fatal for top four, is making it look pretty bleak. Do you happen to have uh, your model up in front of you in terms of what our top four chances look like at the end of this round? I, I had it as a point two, uh, so 20%. 20%. After, and does that factor today. in three points for Spurs today? Or uh, at the time of recording, Spurs are getting ready to kick off or may have just kicked off. I mean, they're playing West Ham. Assuming they win, will that 20% drop even further? Um, it probably will drop a little bit after their okay. win. Yeah, so I mean... We're, we're quickly drifting into the zone now of needing a miracle for this to, to happen. And uh, while it was an exciting game for the dreaded neutral, you know, three points was kind of a must. And failing to pick up three points against both Liverpool and Chelsea at home, uh, not what we wanted to see over this period. Anyway, um, let's get into a couple individual performances quickly. One that I think is interesting, I was expecting you to bring the data to support uh, the conclusion most of us had that Granite Shaka is an execrable uh, football player who should not be permitted on a pitch in an Arsenal shirt again. But in fact, that's not how you saw it. And so uh, while I'm certainly curious to hear your opinion, I'd also love to know what data you have that suggests that maybe Granite Shaka was not uh, committing atrocities against the game of football against Chelsea. Yeah, so I actually, when I watched the match, I thought that he had a, a pretty good game. Um, and then when I came in and looked at the stats, it was surprisingly good. Um, if you look at his passing numbers, um, you know, it's 86% overall, and it only misplayed two passes um, in the final third, or I'm sorry, in the middle third or the defensive third. Um, so he was very tidy there, 96% overall passing in those areas. Um, and he actually even put in um, some pretty good defensive numbers. He had eight ball recoveries leading Arsenal. Um, he was two of five in tackles. So Arsenal didn't tackle very well today, but he was one of the, the few that actually got more than one tackle. Um, he also even added in um, an interception. Um, he added a dribble, wasn't dispossessed at all. Um, and then if you actually look at the actual passing numbers, so his passing value added uh, was third on the team. Um, and then he was um, 0.21 per 50 passes, which came in fourth on the team. So I know everybody really wants to to talk about Jack being having a good game, but if you actually compare the two, um, to me, granted, Jack actually comes out slightly ahead, although their numbers are very close. But I mean, a lot of people are going to be uh, kind of see Jack's goal and really push that ahead. But I mean, to me, uh, Jack in the role that he was asked to do really had a good game. Yeah, I mean, that that's fair. And, you know, the one thing I guess if I remember it, maybe a little more accurately that you'd have to be be kind enough to point out for Shaka is that he was making some of those good line-breaking passes that we haven't seen enough of this season where he was getting the ball into Ozil, you know, in, in the final third. I mean, I don't know if you have it in front of you, but do, do you have passes into the final third? 
I'm kind of I curious. Do. Yeah, did, did he was he making those passes? They might have been on the edge of the final third, but it did seem like he was finding Ozil a lot with those sort of intermediate value passes, as they call them. Yeah, so he was four of seven in um, passes into the final third. Okay. So he was our, I think, our, our fourth highest in attempts into the final third. Um, Mesut Ozil was absolutely um, dominant like he normally is, you know, 14 to 15 going into the final third. So that's actually something that I also wanted to kind of get into a little bit more um, is that the change of shape that Arsenal did have um, going from that 3-4-3 to the more 3 5 2 uh, with Messit dropping a lot deeper and Alexis pushing forward, because you could definitely see uh, Messit in that middle a lot more. And I, to me, that actually seemed to um, benefit Xhaka, um, because there was a lot more options for him instead of having to basically do all of that by himself. He had both Wilshire and Messit Ozil there to help him um, kind of not have to do everything. Um, and Messit really had a great game for me. Um, and then I think also Alexis um, really shined being further up the pitch um, he's, you know, he still led the team in turnovers, but I did not really see any complaints about those because <clears throat> people are, you know, more intuitive when he's closer to goal. They're a little bit more forgiving of those, and um, his passes did come off a little bit more today. And so I, th- I think that shape really helped the Arsenal really show what they could do. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I mean, I, I'm guessing Ozil and uh, and Alexis sort of topped some of the individual stats, PPVA offensive contribution. Um, uh, XG chain, things like that. Yeah, so Ozil definitely led the team in passing value added with Alexis second. Um, the thing that was actually a little bit surprising um, when we look at per 50 passes, um, Sanchez actually took um, took the lead over Ozil um, because Alexis really did complete some of those passes that um, are kind of high risk, high rewards. Those high reward ones really came off. Uh, when you look at the overall offensive value added, um, Ozil was the best, um, and with Alexis second, followed by Maitland-Niles, who was also a, a real bright spot for me in this okay. match. So let's come on to Maitland-Niles. And the one, the one thing I'll say to put a pin in the Shaka discussion is just that, you know, sometimes a singular big noticeable bad play um, can totally change the narrative around a, a player's performance. And late in the game, Shaka had a, a misplaced pass to Welbeck in stoppage time when we had a, a pretty good counterattacking opportunity and he just totally overhit it uh, in the touch. And it's funny, I uh, I saw a tweet from Johnny O'Neill on Twitter. He said, I would sack Shaq on site for that last second misplaced pass to Welbeck. But, you know, all kidding aside, I do think that those kind of moments stick in your mind uh, following the match and they, they can kind of erase any good thing that a player did in the game. So that that's fair. Um, so as far as Maitland-Niles, you know, to sort of wrap this up, He's a player that I think people are falling in love with, and I was so impressed with his coolness and his calmness. But in terms of his contribution, it sounds like uh, the data p- picked up on on the performance as well. Yeah, so he was uh, one of the better passers um, on the day. So he was third on the team um, in overall um, passing. Uh, really just did well. Um, his XG chain um, wasn't that high. But see, I think that's one of the issues with XG chain because it really is dependent on getting a shot. And he had so many good times getting down into that danger zone um, on the on the side um, in that little wide part of the box where he was providing good width and then providing good balls. Some of the final balls just didn't quite come off, but to me, he had one of the, the better days. Um, and then when we look at the overall offense, he was um, fourth in the game behind Ozil, Hazard, Sanchez, um, and he really did well. Wow. Um, it was a very well-rounded uh, performance for him, so, um, you know, point. Uh, 0.16 came of that and you know dribbles and carrying the ball with 0.4 added through passing and he was only dispossessed the the one time 
and he only p- misplayed a few passes, so his negative passing was only point negative point zero nine. So overall, to me, it was a, a very good game from him. Um, and I am very much starting to get on the train to to see him actually move into midfield, uh, partially because um, when you look at the average touch maps, he's pretty tucked in already into the midfield. And I think that Arsenal could actually benefit with some more width on the the, the pullbacks normally provide. Um, and I'd like to see him into that midfield because I think his uh, engine would really be good and his passing is very crisp and helpful and incisive. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely fair. And then uh, statistically speaking, um, just to, to wrap this up, Petr Cech, not good at saving penalties. No, and yeah, he's not even good at you know diving the correct way. I think there was someone on, or something online posted where he was like, uh, the, of the penalties faced, he's dived the wrong way 12 times, and so that means he's only dived the correct way three times. Almost, He's almost just to just stand up with his arms wide and hope somebody hits him. Amazing. I mean, I, I think I read that we haven't saved a penalty since 2013, um, and given the vast referee conspiracy against Arsenal and the number of penalties we concede, that, that's a problem. In any event, Scott, um, I think we'll wrap it up because it's going to probably be a pretty long pod, and, and we have a lot to get to, and I resent you for defending Shaka, so now I don't want to talk to you anymore. But I know that people want to follow you on Twitter because you do great work. Scott is on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. You should find his stuff at crabstat.blogspot.com, uh, and you can learn, too, that sometimes your conclusions are incorrect. In any event, Scott, thank you so much. Thank you. Hermes Link, Ice Blue Mink, tight on my ribs like I do not know what permanent is, they want me gone, out of the picture, bury me now and I only get bigger, that's word of my, word of my... I'm so hot, yeah, I'm so right now. Okay, well that gives us a little bit of context uh, with which to look at the match and... uh, uh, certainly Granite Xhaka's performance, but also Ainsley Maitland-Niles. And, and Clive, uh, this is a player that Paul first alerted us to um, by telling us last year that he was the once and future king of Arsenal. He may, in fact, have been right. This was a remarkable performance. And, you know, you tend to go overboard when the young guy surprises you and performs well. For example, I thought Hector Bellerin had an equally sublime, superb performance in this match, but probably won't get as much praise because... Uh, we just know him, and we're kind of some people are fed up with him by now. But Maitland Niles was not just uh, exceptional in this match, but exceptionally composed. And I think the thing that shocked me about his performance more than the the cool little dribbles and the nutmegs and the close control was just his coolness, even in his own defensive third, to take a beat, to see the options, to make the the good pass, not just the hoofed clearance. Um, but all around just a player that seems like he is ready to make the leap, quote-unquote, um, in a game that drove me nuts in a lot of ways. He, he's really the bright spot. Was he the biggest bright spot for you in this game? Yeah, he, he's not even surprising me that much anymore, to be honest. Um, I, obviously, I'm interested in youth football, so I have been to a few academy games. I'm not like a, an avid watcher, but I've been to a few because... One of my nephews has been at Arsenal, so I can get to see them. And um, and basically, I've seen him play live, you know, when one man, his dog is there. And he's just got, I've always felt he's just got a great physique about him. And I just think he looks very cool. Um, when he came into the Arsenal youth teams, I felt that he was jogging through those games. He was way beyond that level. Hence, he went to Ipswich and he started off well, fizzled out. And I thought he'd go out again and... Um, and what we're seeing now is somebody that obviously is ready. And much like a lot of our youth players now, I think they're ready to cope as young men. 
But what do they do under the pressure of the big lights live on TV versus Chelsea? And um, I always think players tell you about players. And Victor Moses, I felt we've done quite well against him. Oxlade-Chamber is a good matchup for Victor Moses. I think they're both quite strong. And, and Oxlade-Chamber has done quite well against him. But Victor Moses just just couldn't do anything. He couldn't he couldn't run him. He And he just kept knocking the ball. He had a chance to go one-on-one. Didn't fancy it because he knew he had no chance of beating him. One-on-one tackles, he's just there. He stands out. He doesn't go to ground. He had a one-on-one he tackle ver- against Hazard, didn't he? Was it was it Hazard where, where he was isolated yeah. on the wing and he just took it right off him? Yeah, Wenger said about this, he's got his ability to steal the ball. And it is a skill in modern football. If you, if you go to ground and you don't get it, it's a booking. And he tackles standing up. He leans on people and he just nicks the ball away from them. And sometimes he nicks it and goes the other side. He's just a very clever defensive player. And we spoke about him before. And I looked at him when he came into the team and I thought, what do you like doing? And he obviously likes sprinting. He's, he finds sprinting and recovery quite easy. Um, sometimes he, he loses concentration. Obviously, it's not his position. I think sometimes he doesn't realise that actually, mate, you're the fastest one in the back line. Can you get yourself back? You know, just in case something happens. But um, yeah, he's just he's just a, a wonderful, relaxed, mature player for his age. He's 20 years of age, and I think let's give credit to the manager. He is um, he has done correct by this one he could have gone out and he kept him in he kept him in he kept him in we all want him to get onto his right foot at some stage we know it's coming we all want him to get into centre midfield we know it's coming is, is it but coming right now, I, mean, I mean is the, is Shad Kolesnac the new Matthew Debushi? I mean you know we Debushi came in he got injured Bellerin came in never gave the job back I mean Maitland Niles yeah. is playing well enough in that position now look Kolasinac was a, a Bundesliga player of the season at that position. So to me, it seems natural to trust him there and move Maitland-Niles into midfield. But the performances are certainly good enough for Maitland-Niles right now to keep Kolasinac out of the team. I mean, Do you suspect that the midfield move is coming? Or do you think that this could be bad news for Kolasinac? Well, I'd, you can't be a natural left footer, despite all what he's done to adapt I mean, I've only ever, you know, someone like Ashley Young has made a career of being on his wrong foot. Fair play to him. But I don't think there's any need, uh, if, we're, if we're trying to be elite, to keep having somebody that wants to play inside, that plays 15 yards off the touchline. There are going to be occasions we do to, we need, we need to retain some width. And the moment we do, we get squeezed out of the game. We're looking at Maitland-Niles and say, why doesn't he stay wider? Right, so um, he's a, he's a, he wants to play inside. He wants, he naturally wants to come inside and connect with people and that's sometimes he gets attracted and, and can leave a hole in behind I don't think he's doing very well in position that's not his position everyone knows it's not his position so you judge him accordingly and so what I'm seeing is a player that looks comfortable at the level and Chelsea is not just the premiership level this is the champions we're talking about so if you can do that you can do Champions League right so and that's what we found I think it's very exciting and I've said a few pods back there it's one of the most exciting things of the season and to me it's the most exciting thing to see this player emerge into yeah. a, an Arsenal quality player. Yeah, and, and I mean, the the tackling really impressed me because I, I think we've seen that he has a dribble, that he has pace, that his recovery runs are good, but he was so cool under pressure. I mean, Paul, you know, I, I tweeted, you know, he had such a good performance. I, I'm half expecting Xavi to pipe up and tell us he has Barca DNA. I mean, he just, he looked... You know, Chambers looked overawed by the game at times, and Maitland-Niles almost looked like 
the game was beneath him, and I mean that in a complimentary way. He didn't look overawed. He didn't look panicked. Um, The moment wasn't too big for him, and I I think that is really unusual because if there's one thing that unfortunately we see from a lot of Arsenal players lately is the moment getting the best of them. Do you suspect that the manager will eventually make the move to central midfield with him? Well, I I think Maitland-Niles had to go at making the move himself in the game yesterday. There was like two or three occasions he kind of moved towards the midfield and stayed there and started interconnecting it. And you could see he's what I really, really like is the pace uh, of his passing in tight areas in the midfield. I mean, it's just kind of silky smooth, uh, like a natural midfielder. You don't really see a lot of players with that kind of touch, which is what gives me the greatest hope when he gets to play there. Um, I, I think, most of this season will be a bit like this for him, uh, filling in for Kalasinac. I mean, I, I think the major issue with Kalasinac is there's some injury stuff going on there. I mean, obviously he's out at the moment, but he's just been out. Um, and I think he's struggling between niggles and form. Um, but I do expect him to come back strong into that position. Um, or it's a wasted signing and a spot for us but I guess we've had a couple of those Um, I I just don't see the manager's inclination right now to use Maitland-Niles where we're all itching to see him and in the end it might be the right thing uh, to hold back a little bit because I know he comes across as ice cold cool but in all the time I've watched him I still think that's somebody suppressing an excess of emotion, not somebody whose eyes cool. I mean, I, yeah, it certainly I, didn't show in this game. I mean, no, no, know. it didn't. Um, but you see, his he has some kind of funky uh, body language reactions to situations that go wrong from where he he kind of he almost lacks acts like well, I really wasn't trying just there, and I. I definitely think he's still working through his anxiety levels in the game, but he puts on this super cold, cool exterior. Well, whatever it is, it's working. It's better than whatever Chambers is trying. (laughs) (laughs) It it is. What You mean waving at people upfield that don't exist? (laughs) Yeah, imaginary friends. Um, Well, But but the one point I did, uh, it's a small point, but I did like it, the, the hazard tackle. Um, I thought it was big because he didn't just outpace him. He did the same thing he did with Mo Salah a couple of games ago. He 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 spends his speed in a couple of different ways. Uh, and pace only gets you so far. When you have the specific density of Hazard's arse, being fast isn't enough. He'll just fucking knock you, knock you into the next week. J- just but, ask uh, Francis Cochran. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that's the perfect contrast, right? Um Maitland-Niles used his speed to get position. He he then kind of converted some of it into balance, poise, and choosing his moment. And he basically overpowered him. He didn't just use his speed. He, his balance in the tackle, we've seen it a few times now, is delicious. We've seen him running people out over the byline for a corner. Uh, it's not just speed. He's not just trying to kind of nip around the guy and do something athletic. He really uses his, his balance in the tackle, and that's why I think he can be a hell of a DM, uh, a, a smooth-flowing passing DM, yeah. as well as his stint on the wing here. Yeah, and and I think, you know, to, to 
uh, sort of expand on Clive's point of saying the most exciting thing of the season is Maitland-Niles' development, I would, I would put a caveat on that. If he stays at left wing back, I disagree, only because, first of all, I think Kolasinac is fine, and second of all, as important as your wing backs are, your midfielders are more important. And so if we've discovered the future of our quick, athletic, rangy, technically gifted central midfielder, it is the most important development of the season. If we found a rotational option and, and a future option at fullback, I don't know how valuable that is. So, you know, yeah. we will see. Um, and let, let me stay with you, uh, Paul, just for one second, um, because I think we have to tip our hat to Hector Bellerin as well, right? I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. he's coming for a lot of abuse. And, and Tim, I'll come to you in just a second because I, I have a, mm. a whole section ready for you. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but just real quick, can we, can we at least tip our hat to Hector Bellerin? Every time he sees Marcus Alonso now, he takes his game up another level. And, um, uh, you know, he, he nutmegged him on a few occasions. He ran past him, knocked it past him, and, and Alonso couldn't keep up with him on a few other occasions. He obviously scores the, the goal brilliantly and great for him. I mean, is it nice to see Hector Bellerin just sticking at it despite some probably undeserved abuse? Yeah, I mean, uh, we don't have any middle ground. He's obviously not in the form of his life, uh, but it's also probably the... Uh, along with the two midfielders, the position that's going to get you the most abuse. Well, I guess along with our defenders. Okay, there's a lot of positions <laughs> that will get you some abuse. What about central but midfield? Wing- yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But wing back. I mean, be a winger and also be a rock solid defender in position, knowing all your distances and being aware of everybody who's o- over your shoulder. I mean, you're up one end, you're down the other, and, the and guy play every what? single game because there's nobody every backing game. you up. <laughs> yeah. And he's, what, 21, now 22 or something. Um, I mean, I just think we're the standard. And like you say, you can have a game where he plays every bit as good and better than Maitland-Niles and understandable to some ex- uh, uh, to some level that the expectation levels are so different. But they can both have a very good game and Hector can can actually be the better player just judged on the ga- the merits of the game and he'll get slated and Maitland Niles you know I, I mean there were two occasions Maitland Niles got well beaten one led to a goal and you know we shouldn't harp on those and we should probably move swiftly on from them because what are you going to expect when you leave a guy one on one with uh, experienced uh, wing players, uh, but you know Hector's dealing with the same struggles on the other side. He's got a, a center back inside him, waving at him like crazy, communicating. Um, I thought he had a generally a very good game, not brilliant, made a couple of mistakes, but there seems to be this big divide where a whole bunch of people are. Uh, I think we need to be very careful because uh, he's going to be a hot property, and. I would think he would be better off feeling the love from the club, especially, you know, if you don't love me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. Yeah. Well, he's nowhere near his worst. But and, we, and we love you at your worst regularly, and we're, we, yeah. we keep waiting for your best and continue yeah. to love you at your worst. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, karma, guys. Be yeah. nice to him. I promised him a segment, but I'm going to go back to Clive just for a second. <laughs> oh, just quickly, I, I, yeah, I agree. I agree. 
I agree with Paul on Bellerin, absolutely. And I sent a tweet out on him last night, and it's the most populous tweet I've ever said in support of him. He's never he's had so many retweets, but um, just going back you, to what you he sound said, a little I mean, like Donald Donald Trump there, Clive. Just to point <laughs> it's the best Sorry, tweet. Man. It's the most popular tweet. You wouldn't believe the retweets I'm getting. <laughs> well, I never expected it, so it's it like a, a thousand. It was well deserved. I retweeted. It was a fantastic tweet. So, um, but just going back to what Paul was saying about Chambers and, and Maitland-Niles and why one looks balanced and why one doesn't. Maitland-Niles has got something called core stability. His core strength is huge. And when he goes into one-on-one tackles, he doesn't move. If you watch Chambers when he goes into challenges, he gets moved. When he goes in, he has to use his arms to balance himself. Even that penalty the other day, his arms were all over the place because he, when he bends his legs, he bends him, his back to adjust his feet to go into a tackle. He's not stable. So he uses his arms. His arms go into strange positions. And all that does is tell you, the fan, you're not in control of your job, mate. You're not in control. He needs to physically improve hugely on his strength, his core, his power, one-on-ones. And then he'll look more balanced and then he'll give you the feeling of, of comfort. And, and that's why we all can see Maitland-Niles. He's easy to see because he looks stress-free. In everything he does, it looks like he's in control. And your line, Elliot, is spot on. Sometimes he makes the game look like it's beneath him. And that's a great line. That's how he used to be when he was a youth player. It's all like, this is too easy for me. If he starts to do that at the premiership level, what have we got on our hands here? As long as it doesn't mean you're not focused, then yeah. And he certainly looks focused and, and really plugged into what's happening right now. So, so Tim, um, mm. how you doing? Yeah, good. How you been? Good? Good? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so a couple of things. You know, I mean, Alexis and Lacazette really ran the show. uh, Pardon me. Alexis Nozel really ran the show for large periods of this game, and I I thought they were Mm. both at at their scintillating best at times in this game. But chances did fall to Lacazette, and and I kind of feel for him because he's having a lot of nearly performances right now. I mean, if you look Mm. at his two best chances, that shot that saved uh, low to his left by Courtois, um, maybe he doesn't hit it with the power he wants to, but he does a really mm. nice job to turn and set himself. The one where he gets free in the area, yeah, yeah. Um, he maybe takes too long over it trying <clears throat> to decide the finish, yeah. but what an incredible turn that is to take two defenders away and, and free himself in the box. And so, you know, I mean, you look at Murata, who had 1.77 XG on three shots where all he had to do was run straight, and then you look at Lacazette, who's kind of getting killed a little bit and the technical quality he had to display to create the chances he wound up with i feel for him a little bit but does he is he still trying to figure out where to be to get involved with those and alexis um is it is it time to maybe be a little critical of of how he's performing with you know with those other two or do you think he's just getting a little unlucky in terms of the the goals not going in right now I, I think he's getting there slowly. So a couple of weeks ago, I was more inclined to be slightly on the critical side, but with the caveat that, you know, he's just arrived. And, you know, let, I've said this a few times, let's not underestimate how big a move this is for him. He's been at Leon his whole career. It's it's where he's from. So he's been in his back garden for, you know, the last kind of 12 years or so. And now he's come to Arsenal. He's come to the Premier League. Big expectation. You know, there's this real, like, football 
we've gone even further, even further into the fating of individuals and, you know, fetishization of the transfer market. So when Arsenal sign Lacazette in the same summer that United sign Lukaku and Chelsea sign Morata, when there's those three, you know, really big striker signings, and you see it on Twitter all the time, it's like top trumps. Everyone's just comparing them all the time. It's just Lukaku hasn't scored for six games and Lacazette's done this. And then it's, oh, if... if um, if Lukaku was doing what Lacazette does at the moment, you know, people are so obsessed with individuals that there's a lot, there's a lot of pressure on him there. And I, I think, I think largely he's doing well. I think, um, cause this will go out on Friday. And so by the time it's out, you'll have all already read it. Um, I kind of made a case for, which I've hinted at on this podcast for bringing Theo Walcott in, um, to the team, partly because I think he'd get a bit more out of Bellerin, but largely because I think he'd get a bit more out of Lacazette because, it's first of all, it, it's not a massive coincidence that um, since Ramsey came out, Lacazette hasn't scored because he doesn't have that extra runner going beyond him at the moment and occupying defenders. But what is a really, really positive development for me is that he's making his own chances out of nothing. We've seen it a few times in the last um, couple of weeks and it hasn't quite gone in, but you can see he's, he's twisting, he's turning, he's finding space. Um, he's got that link play. I, I think he's doing it really well, actually. And it's probably not the job he's quite used to. Maybe not even the one he signed up for, but he's really worked on it. He's really worked at that kind of holding the ball up, laying it off. Um, and I, th- I think that's really, really positive. And I think it's it, it's always like this when you get a new player. It's not just about him acclimatising. It's about his teammates acclimatising to him. Yeah, um, and I think there's a little bit of that as well. I think we've got. A t- I I feel like at the moment Lacazette's taken half a step back towards the team, and the team needs to take half a step back towards him. But there have there have been some really really kind of um, useful link ups. The the Alexis goal at Palace, the Özil goal against Liverpool. Um, you know he combined really well with Özil again um, in this game, which a goal that would have been really similar to the Liverpool one, but Ozil went to square it because um, shooting would have meant shooting with his right foot, so he wouldn't do it. And I, I think there's some really, really positive signs there. Um, and I'm I'm quite enthused. And, you know, we've been taking him off after 70 minutes or so. And, and actually, I, I don't think he's looked... He looks physically better as well he doesn't look as shot after 65 minutes he looks shot after 80 minutes now um so that that tells you he's on on a really good upward trajectory um and and just to just to row back really really slightly i just wanted to make one point about maitland niles actually that um just to pick up on something clive said that his development is kind of the positive of the season um, I'd, I'd echo that. I think there's a lot that divides Arsenal fans at the moment. Even brilliant players like Hector Bellerin are, for some reason, getting it in the neck. But there's there's not a lot that unites Arsenal fans at the moment. But I think there's two things. One, um, everyone's really getting behind Jack Wilshere and the kind of his comeback. That's that's a really unifying force, and you can hear that in the stands. You can see it on social media. And I think Maitland Niles could be the other one. Um, that. You know him coming through, impressing people, 
you know younger players that come in usually get a bit of latitude as well so it, it's it's one of the few unifying forces for Arsenal fans at the moment yeah I don't know did you see this there was a stat making the rounds about Lacazette by the way that I thought was really interesting I think I'm not going to get it right because I don't have it in front of me so I don't know why I'm going to quote it because I'm going to quote it wrong and then what's the point of that but I'm going to do it anyway um, it was something along the lines of 28% or something but the more important point is the most prolific period for Lacazette at Lyon, goal scoring wise, was from seventy five minutes to ninety minutes. Mm. Um, that was his I most prolific. It, I think it was the twenty eight out of his hundred goals or something like that for that Lyon. That lines up with twenty eight percent, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'm not a math expert. I was told there'd be no. Math, but, um, yeah, I saw that too, Eddie. You're, you're nearly right, but you, 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 it's just late in games. That's when he scores his goals. Basically, I, I thought it was after 75 minutes, but it was late in games. Whenever the yeah. minute was, I guess my question to you, Tim, is, I mean. You know, we all kind of laughed a little bit about Arsene Wenger saying Shaka was a box-to-box midfielder. Um, he mm. clearly isn't. You know, he didn't seem to know what he was. Mesut Ozil arrives and plays 90 minutes every game after really only being a you know, 60-, 70-minute player at Real yeah. Madrid. And here comes Lacazette, who he refuses to play beyond the 70-minute mark. And that was his most prolific period of the matches, the end of matches at Lyon. I mean, do you wonder if... if there's something going on there or if the manager doesn't understand what he has and that maybe he's misjudged his physicality. I mean, I think we've all agreed at times that Lacazette sometimes looks like, looks like his race is run, but given mm. that he scored such a high percentage of his goals at the end of games in Lyon, is, isn't it incumbent upon Arson to see if he can impact that state of the game? I mean, games get open and, and chaotic and fractured yeah. at times at the end. We saw how this game finished. It was a mess. And, you know, I, with all due respect to Danny Welbeck, had Lacazette been on in that period of the game, it might have been different. Yeah, yeah, maybe long term, yes. Um, short term, you know, um, the last fifteen minutes of a league earned game is is quite different to the last fifteen minutes of a Premier League game, I think, or rather seventy five minutes of a Premier League game is is different to seventy five minutes in league earned. So, yeah, long term, um, that that's what you'd look for from him. And you're right, like because he's, you know, the the tie, I, I looked um, on YouTube. Uh, his goals for Leon, as you do when you sign a new striker, and uh, quite a lot of them were hit, were him going in behind. For obvious reasons, that goal isn't quite available to him as much um, at Arsenal at the moment because teams don't really attack us. Um, so that that kind of almost like Jamie Vardy esque kind of power running one on one and then lashing it past the keeper. Um, and and obviously he can't do that at Arsenal as much, which was why I was always a little bit dubious about assigning Jamie Vardy. But uh, well, amongst other reasons. But um, yeah, but but long term, you'd you'd really look to get that out of him, um, particularly as you say, because games can become a bit more stretched, and particularly if we're if we're like leading one nil um, with ten minutes to go, and the other team has to come out, um, that's perhaps when we could really use him, you know, to kill a game off, as well. So. Yes, long term, but short term, I I understand why he's managed Lacazette the way he has. Uh, he's getting Lacazette working very hard off the ball in a far more intense league, um, and he I think he wants to ease him in. But I'd say let's look at what's happening at the end of the season before we make any big judgments on that. Yeah, f- fair enough, uh, Clive. Little final word on, on Lacazette. Yeah, equally encourages Tim. I'm, I'm with Major completely how he's handling him. I think when I first saw him at the Emirates Cup a few years back, 
everyone was telling me about this number nine. And I looked at him, I thought, well, actually, he looks a bit more like a, num- a nine and a half, like a connector. And um, it's interesting that France never play him and Drew in the same team because they both do similar jobs. And now people are seeing that. I think, for me, he's definitely somebody who needs a strike partner. He's a, he's, he hasn't got the goals in behind, as Tim alluded to, but what he has got is sharp combinations around the corner, short passing and bright movement. I think he reads a partner really well. Him and Alexis read each other quite. So as they're close, you feel excited because you think something's going to happen. The natural development for this team has got to be two forwards. It just has to be. We've got this guy. He hasn't got the physicality right now to be a lone striker like Giroud has. Alexis could barely do it, but he made it work with Theo alongside him being a muscle man and, and Welbeck being near him and the Welby being near him. So he made it work. Lacazette, if he could get him another strike partner, I think he could explode next year. I think we've just got to wait for him until he adapts physically into the game. And once he does, I think we're going to have a player. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we'll have sold him this summer so Enkedia can make his <laughs> development. But, you know, whatever. It's all cool. Um, yeah, I, look, I, I think I would like to see him get chances to finish games. I, You know, I, I just think, especially when you consider how much, and, uh, you know, confidence gets thrown around too much, but confidence helps with strikers. Strikers get on hot runs of form. I, I just think given it how prolific he was in, in the final parts of games for Leon, at least give him a chance. Um, Giroud's out right now anyway, and you wind up bringing on Danny, who's in terrible form, uh, although I don't know if you saw John Cross's tweet, and I don't know the guy here. He's lovely, but some of the things he comes up with, uh, I think his tweet was basically, you know, Lacazette maybe not worth the money. What does Danny Welbeck have to do to get a chance to start? Blimey. You know, I, I don't see it, John. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, okay, so so real quick, Paul. You know, we we got ourselves in position. The the penalty equalizes. You know, Tim did enough on the penalty. I don't want to go in the refereeing decisions. I also, by the way, don't think the Maitland Niles one was a penalty either. I you know I, I think he kicks his own foot, and maybe there maybe there was contact or not that caused him to do it. Either way, I don't think either either there one was, should have been a penalty. It's not a penalty. Just like I don't think the Hazard one is a penalty. But again, more interesting things to talk about. So yeah. Um, but they're the one that gives them the lead. It's really, really bad defending. Uh, Mustafi has to be aware of where Alonso is there. I, th- I think again. Usually, when I say these things, I'm wrong. So I, I want to get get the right answer from you. But um, you know, Maitland Niles maybe gets just a tiny little bit exposed in terms of giving the room for the cross. But the problem is is central defenders again not just not understanding their positioning and not tracking their men. I mean, do you see that as as being Mustafi's mistake? Yeah. Uh... I mean, yes, uh, th- my heart goes out to defenders in general because it's the blink of a feckin' eye. You look at him and, and everything's fine. It's under control. Mustafi checks over his shoulder. He's in the right position. It's all cool. Then he needs to quickly scan one more time. But right well, at that he just instant, need to be playing closer to that front post a little bit? I mean, isn't he, isn't he well, standing in the wrong place? Why is he standing in the middle of the goal? Well, but remember, Maitland-Niles has his man covered. There's a moment where you think, oh, yeah, he's got this. Uh, then he kind of falls behind the pace a little bit. And before he knows that the, the situation has changed. So I'm not saying it's not Mustafi's fault. I'm just saying I yeah, feel I don't for know. I'm, by, by the that, way, I wasn't saying that like I know. I'm asking. I mean, isn't the right position for him to take up there just a little bit more I, I towards see, the, yeah. the, the near post? Yeah. 
but he doesn't know he has the problem of a man coming across him. So he's he's staying on his man. Plus, he doesn't know how the play is going to play out. I mean, I do think there's a moment where suddenly it's like, oh, fuck. Uh, Maitland-Niles has lost, lost his man when I and probably Mustafa... Mustafi were of the opinion that uh, Maitland had it covered. It looked under control. But, but, you know, this is so this is the one thing I want to push back against. Everybody loves to kill Arsene Wenger, and I do it too. And, and you know, say, oh, he can make, you know, this system can make any defender look bad. And I agree. When your fullbacks are bombing up the pitch and you're standing on the halfway line, that's really tough as a central defender. And, and you know, yep. when the midfield is imbalanced, again, really tough as a central defender. But standing in the wrong place too deep in your own box, not f- tracking runs, I mean, that's not yeah. the system. That's basic defending. And, you know, I, I'm Yeah, I'm you, not- c- you kind of made this point earlier, and I agreed with it even, th- even more in that context um, because, I mean, we made calamitous mistakes. The, most of Murata's opportunities were things that a good three at the back shouldn't do. And when you look at the three they had, uh, you know, I, I fucking hate Cal, but but he's kind of proved himself um, it, at some level. I mean, it's just the look of him. Oh, I want to punch his shorts. <laughs> you know what I mean? With his big, stupid feckin' shorts and the way he bounces and he hops around the place. But he's actually <laughs> overall quite good. Uh, Christensen seems to be the real deal. He He's kind of the... The, the kid who came in, you know, you compare Holding and Chambers against Christensen and, you know, it's, you're kind of like, oh, oh dear. Are you sorry that Holding didn't cost 50 million? Because I'm really yeah, happy Holding didn't cost 50 million. That, that quote keeps coming up all the time. But <laughs> to be fair, I still think Holding is a, a, he was the guy who came out with this with some real credit. Of the three center backs, he did best, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I actually thought he was pretty good. Anyway. Um, so, but I agree with you. I mean, the, this was a day in which I would say the mistakes were individual mistakes. Now, uh, they're never devoid of the system and the people around them and blah, 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 and the fact, you know, training and blah, blah. But man, we dropped some clangers individually. If in Mustafi the bank is area. the future of our, you know, if he is the anchor of our defense for the future as Koscielny starts to be phased out and Mertesacker is gone and whether it's Chambers and Holding or Holding in another guy or Chambers and another guy, whatever it winds up being, he yeah. has to be better technically as a defender. And the excuse that it's not his fault, it's the system, it's Arsene Wenger, isn't going to work. He dives in too much, in my opinion. He is positionally not fantastic. Look, he is phenomenal on the ball. And I think that is a quality in modern football that big clubs need. You need to be able to play out from the back. You need to have line-breaking center backs. I love that he can do that. But you have to be able to defend. You know, you I, do. I, I'm sorry. Uh, he definitely has some excuses in this game, though, because he's got, like, it's a different lineup one more time. What the hell happened? So we score the equalizer, Paul, and we'll, we'll come on to that with Clive yeah. in a moment. But what the hell happened? Like, it reminded me of the I, Monaco game in, in yeah, a way. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Why are we so incapable of, I mean, I don't know if you're watching on, on well, I know you're watching on TV, Paul. I, you know, for those of you listening or watching on TV, they didn't even get back to the live action fast enough for us to see how they got in on goal. But like, what the how, how is it that we are capable of being so unaware of what's going on? You know why it's like the Monaco game? Because when you watch it on the TV, you're missing the bit that leads up to, holy fuck, there's a guy running at our goal. 
Yeah. You know, they're, they're still showing replay. T- Tim, do you, t- did you see it? I mean, how, how did they wind up in on <laughs> what goal? What the fuck? <laughs> to, for those of us who had to watch I, it on TV. I, well, all I can tell you, I was, I was absolutely furious as it unfolded. And uh, like my, my friend I go with who is, you know, not given to fits of temper at football grounds anymore because he's been going for 50 odd years and seen it all before. But even here, like one of his bugbears is Arsenal not working hard enough to get back. Um, and we, we see it a lot from where we are. We, you know, whenever a team breaks on us, he'll always be like one, two, three, four, jogging, walking. And uh, obviously in the tension of the moment, that, that becomes a little bit more explosive. But I, you know, I, I, I think I'd only just finished celebrating the equaliser. So the adrenaline was still so had going. the players. You're mean. the problem. You're the problem, <laughs> Tim. I was, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't like going, go on, go for them. At first, actually, we were complaining about when Chelsea scored, they spun out that celebration for fucking endlessly. It went on for minutes. And we, we were actually quite aggrieved there was only four minutes stoppage time because that Chelsea celebration went, well, not so much the celebration, but how long it took them to get back. They spun the fuck out of that. Whereas Arsenal went and grabbed the ball and put it on the centre circle. And we were all a bit like, is that what we want to be doing? And um, yeah, I, I was absolutely furious because we had five guys up front, but we weren't even attacking. That was the thing. We didn't even, it's not even like we went on the attack and overcommitted. We didn't have the ball, but everyone was just standing up front. And yeah, I was, I was absolutely furious and we got away with that big time. Yeah, it's and, crazy. And it's, it's also another massive misjudgment by Chambers who misjudges the bounce of the ball. Um, Mustafi, who's the centre half and they're short for you'd think would be covering around the back is nowhere to be seen. And it's, it's just a massive mess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, just, just Paul, do you want to just finish on sort of like the, the defensive deficiencies and, and kind of, you know, Mustafi chambers holding, I mean, it is, are we just still looking for individuals who can defend? I mean, is it, is it as simple as that? Yeah. I mean, I like to think there's still, a hell of a player there with Mustafi with the right players around him. I mean, you look at our three against their three in terms of consistency and experience and, you know, allowing for Christensen being a little bit of a freak here um, and their two wing backs in terms of experience. I mean, they definitely had the more experienced back five, uh, pretty damn experienced midfield three. So you would expect them to be the more secure, but man, oh man. And then the number of changes and lineup changes and configuration changes we've had and, uh, you know, holding on the right, holding on the left, yeah, um, et cetera. Someone it, stop listening a, to music, whoever you are. Clive, I'm going to yeah, blame you. You do it. it, it it's just a recipe for, for uh, exposing any vulnerabilities there. So I'm hoping Mustafi is still a player there for his Holding, yeah. good. Chambers, oh my lordy. I've always thought he's, I, I think you can find many pods in which I've expressed a little bit of concern about his uh, mental ruggedness. You can um, look, composure. did not change my mind. Maybe more than any physical asset, composure is so important as a central defender, right? Just being able to be calm and composed and read a moment and not panic and... He just doesn't have it. So, I, you know, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that just develops later. We'll see. Uh, Clive, the, yep. the two moments, you know, of the match for us that 
you know, got us the result. There was the Bellerin goal. We've kind of touched on it already, but the the Wilshire goal was such such a momentous moment for us. And obviously, the penalty poured a little cold water on it. But I, I don't know that I would say that Jack Wilshire was having the best game. And I I think that this looked one too many games for him. But him getting a goal was was such a big moment. I mean, how special was that for you? And I, I mean, I don't know that he had the best game, but. You know, how much did you enjoy seeing him pop up and score what we hoped at the time would be the winner? You know, I'm with you on this. I, I was tweeting all through the game, is this one game too many? He's he's struggling. He he looks stiff at the start and I, and I thought he was I thought he was leggy and and when he gets leggy he starts to dive into tackles and he did a couple of he got booked and that reminded me of the old Jack, right? It reminded me of somebody just throwing himself around because he's on the stretch. And um he got his goal. And it was a great goal. Good for him, right? He smashed it out of the goal. And um, great, he went in and I was pleased for him right? because that's the level of game he's going to get judged in. But of all the recent games, if I'm being honest, I thought he fought really hard in this game not to have a 6 out of 10. He had a 6.5, 7 out of 10 with the goal. And again, that's another reason why I like him. It's because he's got the ability to fight for his game. And while he's fighting for his game, He's still helping the team. He's still helping the structure of the team. The whole partnership's not ideal. Some of the things he does are not ideal. The balance is not perfect. We all sort of know that. But he sort of made it work, and he sort of challenged Chelsea in a technical way, in a running way. He got fouls. He was spiky. He wasn't perfect, but he just did enough to cause them a problem. And then that, those are the games, with your manager, you're thinking, those are the games that build trust. And that when you build trust with your manager, you get selected. So from his perspective, that's a really successful night. If you were going to make a change going forward, and and I don't mean like the next game. So, you know, let's say, you know, none of these guys start against Forest, And now, you know, Premier League comes back. And, and let's say you were going to bring Maitland-Niles into midfield. Would you be bringing him in for Shaq or for Jack at this point? Yeah, uh, uh, um, it'll probably be... Love that one. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we have you on here for, articulate answers like that one. <laughs> did it sound good? It did, it sounded I think, fantastic. Uh, I, think, I don't think it matters. Right? Honestly, I don't think it matters. We get hung up on this first 11, and I'm pleased that Jack is now an Arsenal-level player again. Can I rephrase it in a way that forces for you to make a, a choice here? Which... Which player would you prefer to see continue to start if Maitland-Niles was going to be the partner? I would, I would still go with with Shaka slightly. I would go Shaka slightly, yeah, okay. only because he's a bit more worldly wise at the moment, right? So, um, but I don't, I, honestly, it's, it's a hair's breath. It, it doesn't bother me. I just don't want to see people like Ramsey break down, and I, and I look at the midfield differently. I like to see rotation. You know, I, I want to see enough quality players that we don't care. At a minimum, you, you made a big point. What Jack has proven us, at a minimum, is if we can get another guy into the midfield that Shaka and Jack can play sort of interchangeably yeah. and you don't feel that you're going down a level or at least, exactly. you know, not substantially. Yeah, I mean, Paul, real, real quick, final word on, on Wilshire before we kind of come to the, the lasting impressions from the game. Yeah, I mean, the main thing I wanted to say on Jack was um, this This goal's been coming. I mean, he's had two or three games now where, like like Ramsey gets into those positions, 
Jack's been doing very good at getting into that position once or twice a game. Um, so it kind of depends what you want out of your midfielder. And uh, we haven't seen enough from Maitland-Niles yet to see him dancing through the midfield time and time again. Um, but he's done it once or twice. So, But you do need some player to threaten the box. And I think that's what Jack gives you alongside Maitland-Niles. Um, so not necessarily that Jack's better than Chaka, but he might work just that little bit better with Maitland-Niles as the covering midfielder. But what really disappointed me with all the media coverage after this, uh, there was a fascination about the penalties, but there was also, you saw the beginning of them going back to form in the media to paint Jack as Jekyll and Hyde in the one yeah. game. Good, the well good, said, the bad yeah. and the ugly. Just leave that, the fucker that, alone. And what did he that do? Means he's, that means he's playing well, Paul, doesn't he? The fact they he can does. do that to him. I've and that he's me. spiky. And that he's professional in the kind of the bad sense of the word. Uh, and they go on about fucking Jack's dive when you've got Moses and fucking Eden Hazard on the pitch who had a good night for them in that they didn't. Well, actually, Hazard, Hazard did dive. Yes, that is a dive. dive. <laughs> Contact or no, it's a dive. It's yeah, still a dive. There can be contact and it can be a dive. Penalty, um, he's the fucking diver-in-chief. And then they go on about him lunging in on tackles, which we've talked about too, but not portraying him as fucking the Hyde. Is it Jekyll? Jekyll sounds like the bad out of the two. Jekyll's two actually the doctor. Hyde is the monster. Yeah. Yeah. That, anyway. Well, fuck. Anyway. Hyde, yeah. <laughs> the Hyde aspect of him. It just, it's just—it's—it's his first game where he's really expressed his full range, good and bad, and they go straight for the fucking Jekyll and Hyde. Of course, it pisses um, me off. Leave yeah. the boy alone. This, yeah, this well. is a, this is the stuff that stops him getting picked for the England squad because yeah. Southgate doesn't want this guy that comes in. It makes it all about him. I think Jack's been pretty quiet, and they've made yeah. him loud again. They've made him loud. If he has, if he gets caught with a cigarette, it's all over for him, isn't it? Right? You know what's he, interesting? He There's an article be, that just came out about how he's gone gluten free and. He's yeah, if he gets caught with some cheese, he's fucked. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Damn it, you stole my joke, you son of a bitch. Come okay, look, down the alleyway around the side look, of a nightclub. We're, we're going to get to the last little bits here. Little little, little tidbits at the end of this. And, and Tim, this Ooh. whole holiday period, this whole time, we've been saying, hey, shame Theo's off. What a difference he could have made. <laughs> and then he fucking brings yeah. him on in the last few minutes of this game. I thought I was taking crazy pills. What was that? Well, he, I mean, Theo was sat down um, when, and then Chelsea scored and he was told, go and warm up. And he did, like, he sprinted to the corner flag and there was comeback. So it was not in the plan to bring Theo Walker on. It was just when we went 2-1 down. That said, he did save a substitution. And considering this is the last game of a fairly congested period and he's done it with very little rotation, um, you could say that maybe he was deliberately leaving that ace up his sleeve. But it wasn't in the plan. Theo was uh, Theo was sat down probably like looking at Twitter or do, something. Do you think this was a frustrated manager <coughs> losing his mind and in the heat of the moment not giving a shit if he scuppers the Southampton deal? I mean, I'm not even joking. Like, do you think he was so yeah, frustrated I, by I that by that goal that he he just he said fuck it, I'm going to use Theo even though I'm I'm about to sell him. I'm, I I think it was probably always in his mind that I will only bring him on if we are two one down with or, you know we're a goal down with like a couple of minutes to go. Um, I, I don't think he panicked per se. And like I say, like we did leave that sub free, whether that was intentional or not, I don't know. But 
I, I don't think it was quite that panicky. I, th- I think it was. I think. I think if he'd have spoken to him before the game and he was completely honest, he probably would have said, um, "Yeah, I'll br- I'll bring Theo on, but only as an absolute last ditch." And and let's face it, that was last ditch. We would, we went two one down with five minutes left. So that you know that's the definition. So yeah, yeah. The I, game the game lost its mind that. in those last few minutes. I yeah. mean, it really was crazy, and and unfortunately, Theo didn't really have the chance to impact it. Unfortunately. Um, as I said, uh, a couple other little things, Tim. I mean, so following the match, the manager did kind of lose the plot a little bit. I mean, I, mm. I have sympathy for him. I think people overdo it on picking on managers who have been through the emotional ringer and then right after the game have mm. to make comments. And obviously, I think we'd all agree we'd prefer that Arsene Wenger not make comments about committing suicide. I mean, yeah, yeah. for a man who's as intelligent, as articulate, and thoughtful and caring as he is, I think he would probably like to have that comment back. I don't think it warrants a lot yeah, of yeah. debate or discussion other than to say it's it's not the ideal way to say it. But overall, no, the content of his po- Yeah, right. I, I mean, the the content of his post-match comments, though, do you think they deserve the sort of opprobrium they've received from the the media? I mean, do you think mm. he really seemed like a guy who's who had lost the plot, or do you feel he's just your typical angry, heat-of-the-moment, aggrieved manager? A little bit of both. I think he's doubling down a bit on what he said after the West Brom game, and I think he wanted to say that anyway. And you know, having conceded another contentious penalty, I can I can see why he was upset and why he doubled down on a lot of the things he said. Where I think he probably lost it a little bit, and where if it were someone like Mourinho, I would be all over this. Where one minute he's saying to the journalists, you know, you guys don't write about refereeing decisions; you let them get away with it. When I I think you know. I think there's far too much discussion about it. Not that it shouldn't be discussed at all, but I think it's all anyone ever fucking talks about. Um, and then, you know, he says, oh, what upsets me is we've seen this brilliant game and you're asking me about this, which is all totally contradictory. See, can, can um, I just chime in on that real quick? Because I have a different mm. interpretation. I think what he was trying to say, and correct me if you disagree, I think he was trying mm. to say... It's a, it's a shame that all you have to ask me about is referees after a fantastic football game, meaning we should be in a the situation where the referee yeah, decisions yeah, yeah. don't overshadow the football that yeah, was on yeah. display. Yeah, 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 yeah. You could be right. You could be right. It's another, you know, the referees are crap. But at the same time, um, I, I, I always felt it was a bit counterproductive to have a pop at all officials after the West Brom game because... Then when there's a marginal decision, uh, you know, you know, basically, like he said it about all reps in the Premier League, right? So by implication, that's Anthony Taylor as well. And if you basically just told him that he's a useless prick before the game, then he's probably going to do that. But I, I don't know if people remember this. Back in 2007, after the League Cup final, Howard Webb um, had a bit of a shocker because he sent Torre off when he should have sent Abue off. And I think he was afraid to admit mistaken identity because, you know, certain accusations would come out at that time and, you know, he doubled down on it. And I think Arsene Wenger called him a coward um, for that. And then in the next game, we went to Blackburn and Freddie Lundberg was absolutely wiped out in the penalty area and we didn't get it. And that, that really felt like, you know, the referee kind of saying, I'm sticking up for my mate there and... You know, maybe I'm completely wrong about this because I'm not in the referee's head, but I, I always felt it's a it's a dangerous thing to do. It's a dangerous thing to do to take on 
the referees rightly or wrongly whether you think the pgmol is insular and protective and etc etc it's it's still a it's it's um it's fraught with difficulty put it that way so it's, i, I it's think tough, it's right? a bit counterproductive you can make the argument that putting the pressure on the referees makes it so that the next time there's a close call they say oh these guys have been getting screwed yeah, yeah. lately i can't make it or to your point you know what fuck this guy he thinks we're all incompetent i'm i'm going to yeah. call another one against him i i i think to your point the safest and best thing is just not to be discussing it now i do fully acknowledge that if i were Arsene Wenger i would have you know 8 by 10 portraits of every screenshot and i'd have yeah, el, Sp- yeah. el spanish gunner's twitter timeline you know <laughs> uh in my post-match press conference so i get it clive you have you have a theory about wenger's post-match comments yeah a couple of theories really i think um on the referee side if you look at the management basically he's been there 21 years he's got a track record with the referees the referees the assessors he's got a lot of track record of shouting at them swearing at them more than anybody else all the other top six managers are, are new they're loved they're fresh there's lots of rotation management so they haven't got a track record that Wenger has I think it stands against him on occasion and on the interview afterwards I think um, Henry was quite critical of the Jeff Shrees interview where Shrees tried to goad Wenger into a response for UK viewers anyway um, he was trying to goad him on the referee bits and Wenger tried not to get hooked into it he, he got hooked into it Henry then slaughtered him for not talking about the game. It's quite interesting. In the post-match press conference, he then spoke about to people, why don't you talk about the game? And that, to me, felt like a a Mark Gunnell, a little tap on the shoulder, say, look, don't talk about referees. Try to get them to talk about the football. And that's what it looked like to me. Just a little theory, but um, I don't know anything. I'm just an arsehole nerdy watcher. No, I I mean, that, that that could be. I just feel that presuming that anybody even remotely tells Wenger anything about how he should handle himself feels, you know, a little bit like a long shot at this point, but you may well be right. Um, Paul, uh, a a final thought. I mean, Tim said he didn't feel this was must win, but must not lose. Uh, um, uh, Scott's uh, model. There you go. There's the English. I'm I'm following in Clive's footsteps here with my uh, articulation. Uh, His model has us at just about 20% for top four now. How important was it to find a way to get the three points there? Are you are you a little concerned the top four has gone for us? Uh, well, I'm definitely concerned the top four has gone for us, but I think it's mainly because looking at this team, we, you, you know, the stats. Do the stats lead or do they lag? I look at this team and I say we don't look like a team that's in the top four. For, forget the table position. Forget our points. You know, if we play well enough, we're going to get in the top four. If we stop fucking around in the back, we'll get in the top four. The problem is you give yourself a big enough mountain to climb that teams that are better than you have to do worse than you, you know? <laughs> yeah. For, for uh, No, I while. agree. Yeah, yeah, I agree that. But but if you only look just about as good as the other guys and they're ahead of you, then it is what it is. We, we've actually got to look like a team who could come second or third for a long period but we can do that. We can string 10, 12, 14 games together where we get really good results and we play at a higher level. We're just not doing it. We haven't done it all season. Yeah. There's a reason we're sixth beyond beyond our points and our stats. There's a reason we're sixth. We look like a team who should be sixth. Yeah. We've got to get our shit together. The table so, doesn't lie, I heard people say once. I, uh, Tim, yeah. just a, a final question. It lies question. a little bit. Yeah, it lies a little bit. Final question for you. Um. We seem to be playing the game of the season every week or two. And yeah, yeah. I mean, my question to you is, look, 
I actually thought, and this is sort of meant as an indictment and a compliment, that we played about as well as we can play against Chelsea. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. We did some absolutely brilliant job attacking. We had some absolutely comical defending. For you, if we're going to be this sort of mediocre edge of the top four race team, is this kind of the best version of Arsenal we can be? Not the mm. sterile domination and losing one nil, you know, with a whimper, but com- you know, car crash comedy defending combined with some really scintillating attacking. I mean, for a team that is not going to challenge for the title anytime soon, will you just kind of take it that we're playing this way, so to speak? Yeah, a little bit. A, a, a friend of mine sent a tweet last night saying pretty much exactly that. I, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like um, the team that played against City, United, Liverpool at home, Tottenham and Chelsea, he said that that was a riot to support. We didn't win every game. Um, in fact, you know, we got some bad results in there, but he said I had really good fun uh, watching us in those games. And he said it's it's the boring, sterile um, team at West Brom um, and Southampton and places like that, that that's really, really boring and difficult to support. And I think it's quite clear at the moment that we just we just really struggle to against teams that defend against this deep. Um, and then they don't challenge us uh, defensively, so they don't really expose our defensive frailties. So... Um, yeah, yeah, maybe. I'd, I'd like us to be a bit more fun, a bit more often. But if you were looking at game of the season at the moment, you know, top five games of the season, I think Arsenal would be in three of them, again, for the neutral. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, look, you know, and I don't want to speak for, you know, anyone else. Like Arsblog, for example, I just sort of interpreting his tweets and, and his writing and stuff. I think it really does his head in watching us defend, you know, and really annoys yeah. him. And He's while a defender. I, yeah, yeah, that's right. Look, it is annoying. I just kind of expect it. And so I guess as long as we play some swashbuckling attacking football, I can almost shake my head and laugh at some of the defending we do because I just kind of expect it from us. But I enjoy seeing us play some some exciting attacking football, at least. I mean, the Liverpool game, people want to analogize that, but I think that's different because for 45 minutes against Liverpool, we were as bad as we've been in years. That's not acceptable. I don't think we were bad at any point in this game except for some bad defending, uh, if that makes sense, if you guys follow what I'm saying there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. Um, as we have been wrapping up this recording, Sun just scored from about 30 yards out to equalize for Spurs, so we will see what happens there. But with any luck, West Ham can hold on for a point. Um, but obviously Spurs are going to get seven penalties awarded to them uh, in the final seven minutes here. So in any event, we'll see what ah! happens. It is. Um, ah! Oh, sorry, just yeah. missed. Yeah, okay. Uh, look, it has been a pleasure discussing the game with you. There were probably a lot of things we could have come to, but you know we're not going to push past the hour and a half mark, he says, as we have pushed past the hour and a half mark. In any event, Tim's on Twitter at Stilberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure, as always. Uh, yes, and uh, Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Uh, Paul's on Twitter at Positive My Pants. Thanks, Paz. Thanks to Scott once again for coming back on and and uh, rejoining the podcast. We'll come back with some kind of pod after the Forest game. Uh, who knows? Maybe a little breather from the Premier League will be a nice change, and it'll be interesting to see which players get in. I mean, you got guys like Chambers and Holding and Maitland Niles now, who you know are kind of needed in the first team. So it could be a very very young side for Forest, which could be could make it kind of fun. We'll see. In any event, uh, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Please give us a five-star review and write nasty things about any or all of us in the uh, comments underneath that review. 
Um, but until next time, uh, enjoy the football. Uh, hope you're doing well, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Forest No. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.